Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to Chapter 40 <laughs> of the Corona Diaries and supping away at a sherry on screen. Actually, is it sherry or is it that ginger drink? Don't tell them. Well, no, why this not? is um, it's it, it's something I found in the back of the cupboard. It's, Don't um, tell them. It's... You're on video. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell them. It's tequila laced with honey. Tequila laced so with it honey. Tastes, yeah, it's like drinking drinking you know honey, except that it. Makes your head go fuzzy fairly quickly. Very quickly. Oh, it's a good thing. It sorted my attitude out mightily because I was as miserable as sin earlier, and I'm as happy as the Lord now. Oh, well, lovely. That may mean I've got a problem. Well, um, hmm. and joining <laughs> us for chapter forty um, <laughs> is the legend that is uh, Dave Gregory. Uh, evening, Dave. How are you? Hello. Good evening. I'm very well, thank you. It's lovely to be here. And it's lovely to see you. It's a long time. It's well. It's, a, it's been a while since I've seen Mr. H. You know, it has. we've been estranged for a number of years. We have not deliberately. Oh, I mean, no, 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 we no. always meant to kind of meet up in a pub. Never we got onto it, and then um, and then we were banned by the plague, and now we, we were, can't. We were separated by a virus. <sighs> separated by a virus. As we all are, in fact. Corona bastard. Yes, indeed. Excuse my French, but there's no other word for it. Saying that, though, the virus has kind of also brought us all together, hasn't it? Well, it's made this this little group of us. This little Mm. bit of strangeness. Hmm. So I must explain, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, that we're actually also streaming this live for the, per, for the patrons who support the, um, who support the show. Cool. So Bless if you. we say things that suggest that people can see this, that's because people can. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a, you know, a, a couple hundred people currently tuned in um, experiencing what we experience um, every Monday morning, uh, minus the tequila. Um, when we when we do these recordings, but obviously the the opportunity to have Dave around as well and do it live, it just seemed too it seemed too good to pass up, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, I can't believe he's agreed to it. He's obviously no. got no idea what's in store, has he? Well, it's just surprising. I mean, a lot of people. I keep getting requests from people to do these podcasts. I've done quite a few of them in the last six months. And I just get the impression, well, maybe people have heard everything they want to hear from me. Let's be sick of the sound of my voice. So it is nice to be asked, but I'm going to have to start, you know, politely refusing, at least for a few months, you know, just until I've got something new to talk about. Yeah, make this the last one, Dave. Mm. Well, this is a different topic. You see, it's usually 
anniversary dates of XTC events. And why That's not? kind of what most people want to know about. You yeah. know, it's like last year it was Black Sea, 40, 40 years of Black Sea. Uh, but I've, I don't think I've ever done uh, a dedicated conversation about Ice Cream Genius or my relationship with Mr H. Which is interesting because we've been trying to wring an entire podcast out of them. So, um, you know, it'd be quite nice to have your take yeah. on it. Okay. Um, and, and I suppose, actually, that, if, you know what, let's, get, let's go right back to the beginning. So, because um, we've got, we've had H's version of this. Which we just found out in the preamble was wrong. Yes. From, so when from do you day think one, not just generally met? wrong, but wrong well, throughout. I have, I have a memory of meeting Steve when he was in a group called the Europeans way back in the early 80s. Uh, we were both working at the Townhouse Studios, which is Virgin Studio in Shepherd's Bush. Mm-hmm. And they had a little uh, cafe area at the front of the building where you used to sit and drink tea when you weren't required in the studio. And Steve was there sitting all on his own. And uh, I came in and uh, we sort of just said, hi, hi, how are you doing? How's things? And I remember, as I said, there was this little boy who I think was probably the offspring of one of the girls who worked in the reception area. Uh, he was only a little lad, about three or four years old. And she'd obviously brought him into work. And he was, <laughs> he was bored <laughs> of his mind. So Steve was kind of being a little dad to him and entertaining him. And, uh, and I thought, well, that's a nice thing to do. He looks like a decent fella. <laughs> and that, <laughs> and <laughs> that's where it all began. But I didn't, uh, I think probably the next time I met up with him was later, 1984, when he was working at Crescent Studios with David Lord on the How We Live project. And they knew that... I was in possession of a Mellotron, and they wanted to borrow it. So I thought, oh, yeah, that's fine by me. You know, I know you'll look after it. Being a good and dad. That's kind of, that was kind of like the first time we'd... Uh, He'll be a fine father to my Mellotron, he, th- he thought. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you'll be nice to it. You'll keep it entertained. And, and did the two events then join up? Did you remember having met before? Because clearly, clearly it had no impact on you, age, did it at all? But did you remember that, Dave? <laughs> yeah, I did. And I may have mentioned it to him at the time, but uh, he, he he's obviously forgotten. Oh, I've forgotten so much, Dave, including half of last week. So, yeah, I mean... Get, well, this is, this get, is the thing, this is why I must... I found these old diaries... And other bugger. stuff that I'd written, you know, completely forgotten all about. Just little events, because I, I didn't keep a daily journal the way you do. It's well, just a few I don't notes. Anymore, but I used from, to. Yeah, I should really make more effort. But so see, how... my life isn't that eventful, so it is pretty much bloody point. <laughs> and uh, that that, but as I say, that was really. Um, I do have the dates. That co- that to, to confirm when you and I got together to, to put the H band together and do your album. Which, incidentally, we had a meeting in the Eagle and Child in Oxford on the 26th of March 1996. Did we? To discuss the possibility of um, how this might be achieved. I thought I'd better get him drunk. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving watching your face as actual 
you know, hard fact. Sort of fact. He's <laughs> 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 hitting you square in, square Sla- in the eyes. I slapped think around the head by another yeah. hard fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dates and times and everything. No, so I remember because I do. It's it's creaking into motion now because I think I think during that meeting and you're gonna you're gonna debunk this as fast as it leaves my lips but during that meeting i asked you if you could think of a good producer is was it uh-huh. that meeting did i say Dave, yeah, it probably, you, yes it, you know. it almost certainly would have been yeah and you said oh, 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 oh i can't ah, i can't do that well, i've been working with this american geezer his name's craig leon like you know he'd done this couple of albums with him see that was it i was gonna do that that's exactly the impression i was about to do <laughs> And then, uh, but, you know, you were saying, we need a producer. Do you have any suggestions? That's what, as I say, I've been working with this guy. He's a good guy. He's, he's really a positive fella. I think he'd be up for it. Why don't I give him a call? Mm. So that was how, how, how I got on to Craig Leon, really. Yes. At Dave's, at Dave's recommendation. I thought, well, if Dave digs him, can't mm. be a lot wrong with him. Well, Craig had some good connections as well. You know, he he uh, produced the first Ramones album, and he had a lot of friends in New York on the New York music scene, including Blondie, mm. which is how we came to uh, rope Clem Birkin to play drums. And uh, and Craig, as I say, was just easy to work with and a nice guy, and he was very positive and. Um, and he just, uh, he, he, he was in England, you know, as well. He felt like a college kind of, professor to me. You, do you know what I mean? He had a slightly yeah. professorial vibe about him. Which was but he's certainly very knowledgeable, you know, his, his knowledge of classical music and his musical skills can't be uh, doubted for a second. He was very, very well versed in, in music. And that's very important in a producer because a lot of, uh, you know, some producers are good sort of vibes people who don't really know much about musical rudiments or or how to you you can't discuss in detail musical details with them should we say they're more you know kind of they gather people together and get them to work well that's that's really <clears throat> which i suppose a, a if, you've, if you've got a bunch of serious musos what they need most of all is is a kind of vibe orchestrator because they've got all the dots and lines and the shit and the, do you know what I mean? The the, uh, the majors and the minors and the sus fours and they they know all of that anyway. So so, in a sense, what they might then not have is the old bah! thing. You know, that absolutely. Is what you want to capture on a record? Yeah, sure. So it's not without its um, merits, is it? Having someone no. who gets it. I mean, yeah. obviously, you'd like to get both. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, Craig, he, he probably um, I wouldn't have said he was a, like a, a big party animal by any means, but he was certainly, he had the right uh, intentions and, uh, and a, good, a good head on his shoulders and, and a good sort of personal vibe about him. Yeah. I, I haven't seen him for years, but I, I've never forgotten him. He's, he's a nice fella. He had a few good stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you'd expect him to. <laughs> <laughs> from his background, yeah, I can't imagine. You know, some of those sessions in uh, in New York at uh, the Lower East Side in the, in the mid to late seventies must have been uh, quite eventful. I yeah, imagine. yeah. 
So just to go back one notch there, because we we got suddenly you were you were sat in a pub somewhere having a meeting about the album, the Eagle and, then, and Child, yeah, in Oxford. Yeah. But prior to that, there was the Mellotron. But what oh. in between? Because you, you you don't just go from a Mellotron loan to a, you know, will you play on my album, or do you? I think I sent Dave Dry Land when we when when Howie Live had finally finished it. Um, you did. And I think you sent me a, a kind, uh, a kind little note saying you really enjoyed it, yeah, which made my day, record. frankly. Uh, mm. So that was. Nice. But after that, Steve, you remember we then uh, sort of kept in touch, and the next time I bumped into you was in Italy in Milan, <laughs> when I'd gone to <laughs> we, work with. Did uh, we go to that Alicia. restaurant with Grace Jones? Was that with yeah, the ice cream? <laughs> like you do. Sorry, I can't resist dropping a name, but. Yeah, we we had an ice cream, didn't we, in uh, Milan? Yeah, I was we, checking into this hotel called the Leonardo da Vinci. You see these things come to me. And um, when you check into Italian hotels... <laughs> yeah, I told an interesting story about that earlier, but perhaps I won't repeat it. Um, we might have to leave that one out. We might have to leave the slide story out for another yeah. time, maybe for an odds and sods <laughs> cast. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, when you check into Italian hotels, you have to put passports down. They're very particular about that. Uh, it's probably the same worldwide now, but back then, most countries were a bit more relaxed. But but in Italy, they wouldn't let you check into a hotel without putting a passport down, and they would they would hang on to the passport for half an hour for reasons only Italians know. No, uh, they then, would hang on to it until you checked out in case you did a runner. Oh, That's would they? That Is that about. what they were up to? So I was checking into this hotel and there was this little tray on reception with all of these passports piled up into it. So, And one of them was a British passport. So being an inquisitive sort of a character, I'm going to have a quick look. And sure enough, it said Dave Gregory. I went, well, bugger me. So what room is Mr Gregory in? And they told me I found him up. And I said, hey, hey. <laughs> He did in Milan then. So um, we went out, had an ice cream, and then the, re- and then the record label were, t- were taking Marillion out to dinner. So I said, oh, darling, you must come. So Dave tagged along, and Grace Jones was in the bloody restaurant, wasn't she? She was. And she was smaller than even me, which came as a right shock because she looked six foot six, didn't she, on everywhere you see her. I can remember she kind of made an entrance like the Queen of Sheba. She had a couple of people with her, but, you know, it was like she came marching regally into the place, you know. And, uh, but we were more interested in what was the food on the table and who was coming in. Yeah, that was but, a moment. Uh, that was... Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm trying to think what... Yes, the, the I, yeah, I'm not sure what the... You mentioning ice cream. We definitely had an just, ice cream. We Yeah, we must have done, yeah. In the yeah. afternoon. I think it was a hot, sunny day. So we went yeah, out for an ice cream, and then yeah. I got I got a note about going out with, with EMI. So then Dave came out with us. Is yeah. that a musician's thing, then, as well? Is it, right, well, record company's paying for... Record company's paying for <laughs> dinner. Who, who can we get along? Uh, no, 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 it's just that, you know, I'd run into an old friend. I, I don't just, you know, willy-nilly invite every blinking Doris and Harry. 
who I right. run into in Milan. But you thought kindly of your fellow musician. Guitar God. Well, yes. Come on. They were yes. probably more excited about having him there than I was. You know, EMI. <laughs> all going, I mean, sad. I'm slightly intrigued by Grace Jones not being very big because I thought she was like, I, th- I thought six foot one, six foot two, like. She's just one not. of those people who looks, in, you know, really tall and slender on camera. You know, and and, and she, she does have those long stilettos most of the time, mm. Mm. and a fearsome, fearsome kind of um, aura, really, doesn't yeah. she? She she has the kind of divas, oh, mm. that you know, run away. Mm. The carry, she's got the carry. <laughs> bit of, bit of the carry's going on about her. Oh, way beyond the carry, way yeah. beyond the carry, <laughs> way beyond. I would have said so. <laughs> so. Um, you 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 exchanged. You sent Dave a record, um, or yeah. a tape, or a CD, or whatever it was. Yeah, um, CD, and you had a you had a brief date in Milan. Um, sounds very pleasant, actually. Bit of dinner, ice cream. It was. Um, and and then, I guess is it must be then UH thinking about who 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 do I want on the record? Who do I want for the solo project? Yeah, Dave was always going to be my first call. Really, um, because I uh, yes, I don't <clears throat> I don't know why that would have been, Steve. But it was, I was very, very flattered by uh, your invitation. And I remember we did sit in the pub and discuss not only who the producer should be, or but also who else we could call, who'd be uh, you know who who we could make an interesting album with. Mm. And so we just sat and pulled ideas over a couple of pints. And um, we did have. I think the the next person uh, who would have been well. I remember we went to see Richard Barbieri. You suggested he might be um, he might be a good guy to call, and he was playing a gig with Janssen Barbieri Khan at the Astoria in London, the old uh, Lean Fiddler. And we went there to uh, to see him play and hopefully and to meet him which of course we did eventually and I remember Stephen Wilson playing guitar with them as well he got up on stage and played guitar you have to remember this is this is uh, spring of 96 long before Stephen's the the prog god that he is today Mm. Uh, but there he was he was this barefoot skinny guy with very very long hair uh, playing guitar I thought he he looks a bit andy (laughs) <laughs> What's his story? I didn't know who Stephen was. Just to confirm, in a guitar playing sense, not that he, he looked, you know, predisposed to violence. Oh no, no, no! Quite the reverse. Right, okay, just checking. Quite. <laughs> I met Handy as a musician. Yeah, no, that's fine. Fine, fine. fine. He looked. He was tasty. It was a bit tasty. It could still apply, Dave. Tasty <laughs> could still apply. Yeah, yeah but it's, not, it's usually bloody tasty, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I can't imagine Steve Wilson with a with with a lead piping in the conservatory, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Although it would be a good game of Cluedo. <laughs> Prog Cluedo. <laughs> it could happen. I suspect Rick Wakeman in the hall with the axe. With the Steinway. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. 
<laughs> so you popped along to see to see Rich, and he was he was doing his thing. He was, he was. Richard. He's never um, changed. I remember much about the meeting. I think it, mainly it was Steve and Richard were chatting mostly. I, I was kind of just invited along, and uh, I was happy to be there, you know. Uh, but I don't remember saying very much to Richard at the time. I don't remember that at all. The only thing I remember from that night was Mick Khan never looking down while he was going... And he's, you know, with that fretless, and you think, how's he doing that yeah. without looking? Yeah, you know, on a fretless bass. How the hell is he doing? What he was like some strange lizard, playing <laughs> playing a bass. Incredible, incredible. So, you, so you roped Richard in, um, and then is it? <laughs> and, and then is it? Um, is it Craig then that effectively? Is the the link to Clem? I guess we yeah. We, we I think it was Craig who said who said I you know what what about what about uh, Clem Berg, Chucho Marchand? I went oh yeah oh hello and I'd seen those two with the Arismics, mm-hmm. um, and I think I might even have sort of run into them or I was certainly in a bar with them in in Rio. Um, we did a we did a festival in nineteen ninety one. And Eurythmics um, were playing that festival, and Clam and Chucho were their rhythm section. So I, I think, well, you can't miss Chucho if he's in the same town, let alone the same room. Um, <laughs> so I think, I think I've been aware of Chucho's presence uh, in the Rio Palace Hotel in the bar. Um, so I thought, oh yeah, no, that could be. And I'd seen them play at, at that. In, at that festival as well I'd seen them play with the Eurythmics so I thought oh well they'd be good wouldn't they and I like the idea of, of, of Clem's kind of punky approach um, you know breaking things up a bit and stopping them being too muso because uh, you know having found myself <clears throat> as a singer in a progressive rock group um, which you know, kind of fits me, but isn't all that I am. Uh, I, I felt the need, you know, making a solo album to get away from that. And so having Clem Drumming was, was a really interesting notion, uh, rather than getting in some super, super duper muso type session player, you know, a Manu Cache or a. Um, Who's that guy that I absolutely love to bits? I wonder what happened to him. Um, Andy Newmark. Is he still drumming? I mean, you know, left to my own devices, I might have been running after Andy Newmark. And so, you know, uh, Craig suggesting Clem was interesting because it suddenly the whole thing turned left then in terms of its attitude. So we'd got a really interesting bunch of characters who perhaps you wouldn't think would would naturally come together, you know, wouldn't attract like a magnet. They'd have to be thrown into a pan by an outside force. So I threw them in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, just brief little pause, um, only because I'm just reading a few of the comments on the Patreon feed. And... Um, Oh my God, Dave Gregory in capitals with a single exclamation mark is probably the best one so far. That's exactly so. what I feel every time I see him. 
so so <laughs> that one that and, and the other one that's jumped out is um lots of lots of love for you dave but um the the cluedo idea is going down really well <laughs> uh, julie hanlon reckons that one of the weapons could be choking with a lobster bib i i, I don't know if that will make its way in but That'll have to be explained to Dave afterwards. Yeah, we'll tell you about that afterwards, uh, okay. Dave. So, because you you mentioned earlier, Dave, that the because I had no I had no idea how long the sessions for ICG lasted, and you'd said when we were talking, you thought in your head you thought it was a few weeks, maybe a month, but on going back and checking your diaries, it was a lot longer. It was, yeah, it was right throughout the summer of seven, of ninety six, pretty much. Um, we started, I note here, I went to Steve's house in, when he was living in Charlton for four days of, re, of prep work or rehearsal, pre-rehearsal rehearsals. Gosh. That was the 21st to the 24th of May. And was that when you uh, were first introduced to the songs then? Uh, it may have been. He may have sent me some demos right. uh, previously, just some rough sketches on cassette. Uh, I can't rightly remember, but... It was quite a productive four days because the, well, it had to be because we went into the studio at the Racket Club on the following Tuesday, the 28th of May, which is the day after the bank holiday, Monday. And that's when uh, I think Clem and Chucho arrived. And we all, and we started, you know, tracking the, um, the doing the basic tracks. Richard didn't, didn't turn up till a few weeks later, I don't think. I think he, he arrived a little bit later. Uh, and it, but it was sort of uh, a fairly leisurely process. We weren't going at the gallop, but it was nice. Uh, <laughs> it was nice to be have that sort of uh, breathing space. You weren't pressured into uh, into into getting the thing finished. That was the thing. There was there weren't any time constraints. It and was that, like a little. And that comes down to effectively the fact that there's not the same cost because of where you were recording, I guess. There's not I'll the same pressure. Know, yeah, I well, I don't know. Steve can answer that. I, I, but certainly, uh, I would imagine if you had your own facility, recording facility, you could afford to spend a good deal more time in it than if you were renting at Olympic or, or yeah. Or the I mean, in or my somewhere. in my memory, it was we were doing it at breakneck speed compared mm -hmm. to Marillion. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I couldn't possibly comment. It was a white knuckle ride, frankly, <laughs> on my memory. I'm not saying anything because I'm going to get in, I'm going to get into trouble if I say anything. So I'm going to keep I'm yeah, going to keep quiet. But 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 the sessions went on for, for for quite a while. And Dave, Steve said in the past that you kind of took on a a kind of a um, the mantle of the the kind of chief arranger. That you kind of helped put things mm. into order and came up with odd bits, and is that that your yeah? Well, we all pitched in. I mean, we, yes, it was uh, it was a team effort. The arrangement and the and I suppose we were all kind of co-producers, really. Uh, I certainly did a lot of work. There was a song called um, uh, uh, the what was the what's the long summer song, Steve? Uh, uh, I can't the title. The long summer I, song. The, uh, <laughs> I should have the album in front of me with the titles written, big letters. The the uh, uh, not the evening shadows, no. The one about the LA sunshine and the oh, the, you did, yeah, better dreams. 
better dreams. You did have a lot. And I to did do a string arrangement for that. You did with all the nerums. Yeah. But because you'd done it solo on keyboard <laughs> without a click track, which you know you couldn't have done it to a click track anyway. No. But you'd done this lovely piano part and sung the vocal. That was all fixed. And then so would you know what be sound nice on this is strings. I thought, yeah, you're right, it would sound nice with strings. So we then had the issue of demoing a string section, which is what I'd normally do on a keyboard to start with, with using samples. Mm. And then I had to sync it up to, you know, this fairly fluid tempo. Yeah. And once that was and then I'd sort of bring a demo in and say, How does this sound? and so on, blah blah blah. And Everyone would say, well, can we change this? Can we do that? I like this, don't like this, get rid of that, put this in here, blah, blah. This went on for a few weeks. <laughs> and uh, eventually, I had to... We, we didn't have the budget to rent a, a, a section, never mind an orchestra. So we... <laughs> poor... Uh, uh, it was a Stuart Gordon... Stuart Gordon, God rest his soul, mm. was tasked with tracking up violins and violas uh, part by part on this very fluid... And, and sort of the, the most difficult part for him was getting it in sync with yeah. everything else that was going on because there was no rhythm reference at all. Uh, that took a while. That was done down at the Woolhall studio in Beckington a few months later, I think in June or July... It's one of the one of the later overdub sessions, and of course that'd be far easier now, wouldn't it? Because now you could manipulate that digitally; that wouldn't be that complicated at all. Um, it still, it wouldn't, wouldn't be, be as, a walk in the park. As complicated, yeah, it wouldn't be as complicated, but it would still be, uh, yeah, tricky. Mm. It's because I'd done it totally free in the first place, yeah. and then having done it totally free, fell in, fallen in love with the vibe of it. So right. I was sort of steadfastly re refusing to let anybody um, rationalise it, you know, or, sure. or make it mathematical. So which you know, which is fine, um, and was probably the right decision, but just made it really difficult for anybody to then, you know, play on top of. What I remember best about the lovely Stuart Gordon was he would always take one shoe and one sock off for oh. a take. Because the same foot. I, well, it wasn't really about the foot. What it was about, it was about putting his foot on the DI box because his, uh, his violin had a pickup on it and um, he discovered that, that um, it had quite an, a nasty earth hum on it, so it used to hum and buzz. Um, but if he took his sh one shoe off and put his bare foot on top of the DI box, the buzz used to go away. So he always used to do overdubs with one bare foot, which, it, you know, that entertained me So massively. he had a dodgy ground and he used his foot to, to <laughs> earth the, the cable. That's very safe. That was a brilliant idea. <laughs> yes, there's a man who should never go to Italy. Yeah. <laughs> so... So the other thing that we've talked about in the past, and it, this is only of interest, well, it's not only of interest, but it, because it, I was out for a run this morning and it's on my running mix and it came on and it reminded me to ask the question. Um, what better dreams? 
No. I was going to say, try running to that, Jesus. No, oh, God, no. no. Well, I can't, it's completely out of time. The bloody singer had a, had a, had a fit about it. Um, no, it, you dinosaur things on my running mix, oh, okay. and, uh, and you rewrote the guitar part for that, I understand. Well, you'd have to. <laughs> well, I did I rewrite it? I, I can't remember. You just I, made I, it I, more more proper because I'd just done yeah. it with blocked out chords. I only know three chords even now, um, and so I kind of handed it over to you and said, "Do what a proper guitarist would do on that, please." Mm. And you did. Oh well. well. Yeah, was... it was just a, it was fairly basic, straight ahead rock and roll song. You know, it was mm. nice to to be able to play something like that. After having been doing, I mean, you have to remember in the nineties there was quite a. There wasn't a lot of rock, guitar, no, work. You know, no. there wasn't an awful lot of it around, unless you were into, um, you know, some of the indie bands and stuff. But it was kind of more old school rock, yeah. rock. And so I was quite happy with that. You know, I had a Les Paul Junior and my matchless amp and just cranked it up. It was good fun. I mm. really enjoyed that. So, you know, I'm glad Steve gave me that little opportunity but there were lots of uh, different guitar colors all over that record he mm. just let me follow my instinct and, and uh, it seemed to work yeah well um i was going to say we, we probably need to move off for for the bit in the you know where we'd have a normally have a bit of diary so we're about 30 minutes in so we'd normally segue into a bit of diary at this point and originally we'd said well we'll finish everything up there and then we'll come back with some diary questions but I've not even made a dent in the things I was going to ask you Dave so are you happy to stay on a bit and we'll forego diary questions for this week and just carry on nattering about um, uh, you know about ICG and then on to the um, the Hogarth Barbieri project after that yeah by all means if it, if it's uh... If it sits well with you, I'm happy. I'm here for as long as it takes. Well, I'm just I'm just looking at the reaction of the crowd, and they're loving you, and they're not really digging us at all. So I think the longer we can keep you about, the better. The better if I'm being honest. Um, so, uh, so anyway, we'll we'll segue into a bit of diary, uh, and we're in Germany. Uh, are we Germany? Are we we're moving out of Germany. We're moving out of Germany, aren't we? Wait, uh, I can wait. I can quickly tell you. We're, we're Where moving. were we? We were in. Uh, oh, we must we're be moving. Oh, moving we, to got, Italy, we aren't went we? to Austria. Oh yeah, we were in. Oh, that's true. We, I'll tell you where we were. We were in. Uh, we were in Munich. We did the Terminal Eins, uh, and I was the first human being to walk onto that stage after Kurt Cobain before he went to Rome. Um, had an overdose, flew back to America, and then took his own life. So, so that was a bit, bit emotional. Um, yeah, Munich, then Linz, then Vienna. Then, uh, then some very interesting shows in Italy, which which they always are, of course. Well, we'll we'll disappear off for that, and uh, we'll come back with uh, a bit more natter with uh, with Dave Craig's. Saturday, ninth of April. Munich, day off. Dreamt I was being hounded by an old homosexual who, out of desperation, I'd thrown off a boat into the sea. Segment I don't want to know. And was dragged out of a deep sleep by Mike Hunter's snoring. Looked to my watch to discover it was 8.30, so got up and checked into the Munich Park Hilton. Had coffee and a light breakfast and wrote up this diary. 
returned to room 431 and called home. Everyone's fine, although Sophie's woken up with a cold. Went to bed and slept until around two. Showered and went downstairs for a coffee with Wes, John Wesley, our opening act. Talking bollocks for America, while I talked bollocks for England. He says I've got to read Hemingway's For Whom the Bell Tolls, The Movable Feast and A Call to Arms. Mike Hunter went by and told us that Kurt Cobain from Nirvana has shot himself dead. Blimey. How unhappy you can be in the face of critical acclaim and commercial success. Nick B arrived with my bag around 4.30, so I emptied my suitcase and finally found my tour pass and bus key, not to mention the credit cards I thought I might have lost, again. Had 20 minutes on the solarium. Ian said it's now been proved that they're bad for you. Cause of death? Vanity. And returned to my room to kill time before meeting in the bar for dinner. Went to a Mexican with the band, Susie K and Petra from EMI and ate overpriced chicken stuff. Got a bit tired and left before Jack's birthday cake was served. Had a last drink in the bar at the Hilton with Tim B and Nick B, and went to bed. Sunday, 10th of April. Munich, Terminal 1. Can't quite remember when I got up. Must have been 12-ish. Showered and wandered down to reception to drink coffee and read for a while, before once again bumping into Wes, who is proving to be the most pleasant American I have met. Chatted to him, this time about computer programmes, before going upstairs to go through my overnighters with Nick B, so that he can arrange my hotels accordingly. My overnighters are when I go over on the bus with the crew. At 1.45, I hit the death ray machine again, and at 2.15 I had arranged a massage in an attempt to remove this javelin from my neck and upper arm. I was given a fairly thorough but gentle going over by Ute, who told me I should really have two massages a week for three weeks if I'm to completely recover. Some hope. Returned to my room, covered in oil, and showered before leaving with the chaps for soundcheck. Terminal 1, tonight's venue, is literally the terminal building of Munich's historic international airport. If I'm not mistaken, it was here that Chamberlain boarded the plane that was to carry him back to England for the famous piece of paper, piece in our time speech. Paper lies, Adolf. It was also here that, tragically, many of the 1958 Manchester United team were to lose their lives after their aeroplane crashed, attempting to take off in snow. A new airport is now operating from Munich, so this one was disused last year and is currently being demolished. Standing out on the runway amongst the rubble, I could see the snow-peaked Alps on the horizon, and behind me, the bullet-scarred stone fascia of the airport terminal. A sad sight, and, as a rock and roll gig, such an ignoble, albeit joyous, end. Maybe the Opera House in Vienna will be a McDonald's when we get there. Chomped through another one of Emma's excellent roast dinners and gave the German fan club an interview before we sound checked. It wasn't too far back to the Hilton, so we returned and I went to bed. Left for the show at 7.45. From the outside, there still didn't seem to be anyone there. This place is, like most airports, miles from anywhere. 
but inside a respectable crowd had gathered. The show went well, although I was experiencing some problems with my voice, finding it difficult to pitch. These days, pitching is something that looks after itself, but tonight I was having to concentrate. I've since discovered that the placing of sub-bass speakers beneath the stage tends to mess with my ability to pitch, so I wouldn't be surprised if this was the cause. The audience reaction was the best we've had for a while, so the band were in good spirits. Backstage was a bit grim, so I had to wait for a shower until I got back to the Hilton. Found out that the Terminal Eins was the last place Nirvana played before Cobain's overdose at the Cavalieri Hilton in Rome, which I know so well, and suicide this week in America. It therefore follows that I was the next lead vocalist to walk onto that stage. Poor Kurt. Monday, 11th of April. Linz, Posthof. Got up around 10.30 and went down to the cafe for a spot of breakfast, then paid my extras. Ouch, everything cost a fortune in this place. I must have had 30 quids of coffees. Packed and staggered down to reception with my bags and bits and bobs. I seem to be accumulating extra odds and sods. Petrotites has given me a big bag of cassettes to listen to for some magazine, so I'm carrying all these, and Walkman, and headphones, and computer, and books, and suitcase, and bits keep dropping off. Drove to Linz in Austria, through snow and rain, for four hours, and popped into the hotel spits to drop my bags before leaving for the Posthof, our venue for tonight. Apparently this one's a filler, and it's only sold 30 tickets in advance. I was expecting the worst, but to my surprise the hall was fine, like a college hall. Mark K seems to have developed a stomach bug and wasn't up to sound checking, so we just checked the lines and returned to the hotel. Had my customary and vital half-hour snooze and went back to the gig. Wes was on stage and I went out there to have a look at the crowd, which had swollen a little from 30 and looked like a 100 or so. Watched from the sound desk, I was fairly confident I wouldn't get mobbed, before returning to get padded and dressed. In some ways it's quite pleasant to play to a small crowd. There's always a sense of, well, we might as well enjoy ourselves, which makes the band more relaxed and easy. I found the brave set felt more natural, although my voice was still not at its best. Pitching was easier than last night, but there was a persistent frog getting in the way of certain tones. For a small crowd, they made a lot of noise, particularly after the first encore, when, from the side of stage, the noise sounded like that of a few hundred people. After the show, I showered and boarded the crew bus for the overnight trip to Vienna. Cod, the merch guy, dragged me back into the venue to see an automatic toilet seat cleaning system. An electric arm comes out of the system with a disinfecting pad, which descends to the seat. The seat itself then turns through 360 degrees, rubbing against the pad as it does so, before the arm retracts back into the cistern, complete with flashing red light. Austria. Had a quick beer in the bar with Cod and Mike H before boarding the bed which was to take me to Vienna. Tuesday, 12th of April. Vienna. Sat, 
woke around 8.30 to the sound of the rain pounding on the roof of the tour bus. Bugger, I was hoping for a sunny day to accompany lunch in Vienna. Staggered off the bus and into the club zelt, which unfortunately is nowhere near the city centre and consists of a large, cold, barren tent on a building site on the outskirts. Found my way into the place and said good morning to the crew. Consoled Priv, who was sitting in the dressing room looking dejected at the thought of a day's work in this uninviting, damp hole. Hard to believe that we're so close to one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Smick arranged for the runner to take me into town, so I jumped into his jeep and he dropped me at the SAS Palais Hotel, where I checked in care of Wolfgang, who remembered me from last time and accompanied me to my room. What a warm welcome. Snoozed, showered and phoned England to arrange flowers for Sophie's birthday tomorrow. Around one I went for a walk. The cold weather drove me off the street into a French crepery, where I had a magic lunch in a corner of the wonderful old restaurant, before returning to the hotel to meet the band for soundcheck. We left the hotel at 3.30, got a bit lost, and eventually arrived back at the tent thing to soundcheck. It was still cold, but it now looked like a gig. Soundchecked and everything seemed to be fine. Vienna Centre was too far away for a return to the hotel to be practical, and the venue was pretty uninviting, so I went walkabout and found the Danube. I'm not sure where I was, but this stretch of water reminded me a lot of the Thames. The sun was setting, and there were students out on the water sculling like they do in Putney or Windsor. A few ducks waddling around. I like ducks. And after a particularly grey day, the sky was clearing to quite a lovely evening. I felt replenished, and returned to Club Tilt, looking forward to the show ahead. Smick informed me that we'd sold 850 tickets prior to the show, which was more than last time we were here. So I hit the stage in good spirits and found, to my delight, that I was singing really well. The audience were neither indifferent nor rowdy, and the whole band seemed to be enjoying themselves. There was a ten o'clock curfew here, so we were on stage by eight, which seemed a little strange. The first encore was very well received. I made up some story about Robin Hood for the intro of Garden Party and Bohemian Rhapsody, but this left us only five minutes for encore too, so we whipped through hooks in you and said a reluctant goodnight. The facilities at the venue were somewhat primitive, so I did a runner straight from the stage into a car and back to Vienna to shower at the hotel. Had a drink in the bar with EMI. They're all new people again since last time and the conversation was both illuminating and depressing. 1,100 albums sold in total in Austria. No rock radio, only pop stuff gets airplay here. The hills are alive with the sound of Two Unlimited, no doubt. It doesn't seem to make any sense for us to play shows here, really. Shame, it's such a beautiful place. We're back. back. And that was the diary. uh, And there was a bit of Germany and there was a bit of Austria and some other bits thrown in. But we're not going to talk about that. No. 
We're not going to talk about that because Dave Greggs is still in the room and we're going to carry on um, meandering through um, this joint relationship. Um, <laughs> can't get over it. He's just trying to keep looking over his pop shields. So where were we? We were still <laughs> we were we were still in the racket, weren't we? We'd we'd um, you were making you were making good uh, with anything you could, Dave, and and putting arrangements around. Um, you he was know, arranging when... strings. Yeah, he was pinning down smoke. Yes, <laughs> pinning down smoke, yeah, nailing it to a shed wall. Now. In it, when we talked about this on a previous podcast, um, Mr. Hogarth uh, sort of suggested that you took a bit of arm twisting to get you out on the road. <laughs> when there was first talk about taking this on the road, that you actually had to have your arm fairly, fairly... Is, is that true? Yeah, I've never been really um, crazy about touring. I don't like being away from home. I don't like uh, living out of a suitcase. And um, I think probably because when I was in XTC, we did so much of it. Although people think, you know, that what they never toured and all this kind of nonsense. In fact, we did an awful lot of work on the road for a couple of years in the early 80s. And I kind of got it out of my system. And uh, but then, you know, I didn't you didn't have to twist my arm that fiercely. No. I think I was just probably a little bit uh, nervous about whether it was whether we were going to be able to re- reproduce the record uh, in a credible fashion, and whether I'd be able to keep my end up as well. And and plus the fact that you know I don't like um, you know the early calls and the. Uh, just this, the the life on the road that just just doesn't appeal. Uh, probably because I'm just sort of lazy and a lazy homeboy, really. There is a myth, you know, that, that musicians sleep in late and all of that. And uh, when you're on the road, that often isn't isn't a luxury. You know, you don't have that luxury. I mean, sometimes you can leave at twelve, and then on other days when there's a long drive. They want you out the door at half ten, and you might have only fallen into bed at half two or three o'clock. And so, you know, there are days when it feels like work, frankly. Very much so. Yeah. But to be fair, the first tour that we did, I think, was only about seven dates. It wasn't a long haul by any means. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember the first gig we did was up at a a restaurant in Shropshire, wasn't it? The Walls. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. I'd got Clem Burke in a restaurant in Oswestry. Yeah. Street. I remember thinking, there you go, nobody else could do that. Just no one can make that claim. <laughs> but, you know, after that gig, I thought, actually, this is fun. I'm, gonna, I'm really up for this now. <laughs> I'm quite happy to be here. And I didn't really, uh, I didn't miss home at all for the, for the next week or so. We had a nice bus, um, didn't we? Yeah, it was good. It was fair, it wasn't. We we weren't over-slumming it. No, definitely not. We were quite well looked after. And how did you get on playing with Aziz? uh, Fine, because I liked his playing. He was different, you know, he was a different kind of guitarist. I'd never worked with anyone who... uh, well, no, nobody just, has. To. There's no way that uh, <laughs> it was. I mean, we needed a second guitar player, and uh, he was the big flash, you know, the Asian Jeff Beck. 
So I figured, yeah, that's that's something to watch and listen to. I'm happy to stay here and uh, and and lock in with the drum bass and drums, and and just keep the thing grounded. This guy can do all the showing off. I'm happy for him to do it because he's he's a really interesting player. Uh, the only problem I had with Aziz was, <laughs> were well. He was always on, you know? It was just like, in, in rehearsal, there are times when you need to just sort of have a conversation about something, you know, about a problem or about an arrangement or something, and there would always be, you'd have a floor littered with pedals, and they were, the, some of them worked and some of them didn't work, and the ones that didn't work would make odd noises for no apparent reason. And you'd be trying to hold a conversation with all this, all this clatter going on. It's just... God's sake, Aziz, will you just put a sock in it? But it kind of, at the end of the day, it's worth it, you know, because he, he just... I, I, I just used to look at all this all this uh, ironmongery on the floor and think, how does he find his way around all this stuff? I mean, what's he, what does everything... Does he know what everything does? Anyway, I think he knew what half of it did. Only joking. Uh, he's a character. I, I like him a lot. He's a really a good addition to the band. I was a bit nervous when Steve said, oh, I'm bringing another guitar player in, <laughs> as if to say, <laughs> you know, we need somebody up front who can do something flash. With their nipples but, wide apart. <laughs> sorry? Okay, with their nipples wide apart. We can pull, the, pull right, someone yeah, on and, the front uh, row and, while they're at it. And, uh, and their fingers lit up with LEDs. Oh, God, yeah, I forgot about that. No, he's a great showman. Mm. Very much so. Yeah, a great musician. Be fair. Mm. Yeah, he's a really fine player. The th- the thing is, because I mean, I've got to know this is uh, quite a lot over the years, and 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 everybody's everybody's kind of opinion of him or, or impression of him is is exactly the same. I mean, he's full on as is all the time. You know, there's not a quiet moment. He is he is just it's it's not a character. It's him. It's definitely him. Yeah. Um, but you'll listen to him play. With with just a guitar, and without any of the gumph, and he'll he'll make it sound like he's using a wah pedal, but he'll do it with his hand, mm. and he'll do all manner of things that he's doing, and it's just his hands he's doing it with. And yet you think, well, why are you why are you what's the big crutch on the floor? Because actually, it's all in your hands. You you, you almost don't need it. Mm. And he's jumping up and down on various things and trying to make various things work, and he's constantly chasing a sound or constantly changing something that needs to plug into this to make that do something else. And yet, when he actually just plays on its own, it's it's you know pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, but maybe yeah. he's got something in his head that isn't in your head. Well, I think there's a lot in Aziz's head that's not in my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, but that's that. probably a good thing. Let's drink to it always staying there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so that worked quite nicely. You, you, you two got on, you know, and particularly on stage, it just, it just clicked and it worked. Well, I think it did. <clears throat> yeah, I think Dave and Aziz were a bit of a yin and yang, you know, because Dave, mm-hmm. Dave was. I mean, <laughs> I don't. I, this is going to sound like I'm putting Aziz down. Well, I'm not, but I mean, you, you could rely on Dave. Aziz was, whoa, you know, you weren't sure what you were getting. He was like a box of chocolates. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I needed somebody to rely on because I can't rely on myself, for Christ's sake. So (laughs) I needed somebody on the stage that, that, you know, would be solid and, and, you 
would get it right. Whilst the well, I was, yeah, I was most comfortable doing that. Yeah, because uh, you know I, I wasn't brave enough to go out and just sort of you know show off because it, I'd probably fall flat on my face. But I think it's a question of you know when you when you join a band, are you going to be a featured artist or are you going to be a, a team player? And I've always gone in with the attitude that I'm part of a team. And I don't mean to, to you know, as I say, uh, suggest as this is a slur against Aziz, because he is a star player. And when you want him to work as part of a team, he's pretty hopeless. I can remember spending an entire afternoon in rehearsal trying to teach him the guitar part to... Old Wild Men. The, uh, do you remember we we did that song, Steve? Yeah. Uh, the ten cc song. It's not a piece it was a great of cake. Song, lovely either, song. It? It's not a piece of cake. But it's because he doesn't really, he hasn't really studied. Um, well, at the time, he wasn't really familiar with sort of Western rock music. You know, he was. He he came from literally a different place. Mm. And so uh, trying to get him to... Because a lot of the chords in that... So it's not straightforward by any means. I struggled with it. A lot of the chords have uh, fifth roots. So they're inverted. And even though they're regular, it might be a D chord, it would have an A root, and then it would be followed by a G chord with a G root. Uh, sorry, a G, G chord with a B root, yeah. say, the major third. The Beach Boys used to do stuff. a lot of that, didn't they? Uh, That's the Brian Wilson thing. Yeah, yeah, really. And it's very, very cleverly written. Uh, it's, uh, and I hadn't really appreciated until I was asked to work it out quite what a what a good, well-written song it was. So, but then, you know, because I'd written the things out and could read them off the page if I needed to, Aziz didn't have that facility. Mm. He had to put it into finger memory. Mm. And we just went over and over and over it for hours. Mm. And uh, maybe he got it eventually, mm. but it would have been so much easier if I could just handed him a piece of paper and said, "Here's the chart. Yeah, off you go." But then, to be fair, I mean, I spoke to him the other day for an, another podcast, and he said exactly that. He said, "That's not. That's not who I'm. Not. I'm not the guy that reads music. I'm not that guy. I've not got that structured kind of approach to it. It's a totally different approach that that he has, and." Uh, you know, and, and that's exactly what you, you know you, you're talking about, really. There, so um, the, obviously, um, and we've talked a little bit about this in the in the past on the podcast. Um, but I'm going to say it because somebody's put it on the on the chat. Uh, Drew Sutherland said, "What's the chance of a band reunion tour?" Now we've talked about this and the fact that you know um, whether actually it is it is. I mean, obviously, it's not possible at the moment, but whether it's it's um, something that in essence, could be made to be possible is, is questionable. But would there be an opportunity for a one-off? Would there be an opportunity to try and get everybody together in one room for one night? The problem with that, it's a, Roma, it's a kind of, hey, why don't we do the gig right here on the top of this double-decker bus? Woo, wouldn't it be great? Um, that's all right if you're a skiffle group. But if, if you're an eight-piece trying to put together you know, music with, with the complexity of, of of what we were doing, then we'd have to rehearse for three weeks mm. for one and night. And the thing is that 
It just doesn't. <clears throat> Having rehearsed for three weeks, you're not going to be happy with one night. That's you know which... you're going to want to go out and do it at least half a dozen times. Yeah, I remember. Minimum. I remember that first tour, as you said. I think it was probably seven or eight shows, and by the eighth show, we kind of felt right. Let's tour, and that yeah. it was Let's over. Go. Uh, and that was such a shame. Yeah. Um, also, I think you know when you're um, when you're a fan of a band, and I, I probably even more so if you missed it the first time out, you kind of think, God, what I'd give, you know, to see, mm. to have seen that. And I wish I could see it, and I'd love to see it. And if they just do a show, I could say I'd been there, and I could I could witness it firsthand. But you might be one of 350 people, you know, who believe that passionately. And to really justify doing this, we'd need to play in front of a lot of people um, sure. just, to, just to cover the costs. Um, so it's one hell of an undertaking, really, to, to rehearse uh, players of this, this stature up. Just, you know, for them to find the time in the first place... Yeah. Of course, we've got to put the current pandemic aside because we wouldn't be even allowed to be in the same, same room, room anyway at the moment. But putting that to one side, if we were, um, I mean, nothing would give me more pleasure, really. But but I, I did try and put an, an, a, a kind of a new H-band... Um, oh, no, it wasn't an H-band. It was, it was a Hogarth Barbieri thing. I tried to put that together about, I don't know, three or four years back. Maybe it was longer. I'm not very good with time. And I think we sold about 12 tickets. And I'd got it all planned, you know. I'd got Andy mm -hmm. Gangadini he'd committed to coming and drumming on it. He, he, he was really up for doing it. Um, and I'd got these two guys from Ireland um, who, who were brilliant, who, who, who would have shared vocals. And um, these two black guys... Um, um, what were the names? Ken and Carl. Ken and Carl Papenfuss. And I'd seen them, uh, they had a band, and I'd seen them play in uh, Belfast, or, no, in Dublin, uh, when I'd been down uh, helping Dave Megan's mum move house. <laughs> and I went out and uh, and caught this girl. They were caught, oh, shit, what was their name? It'll come to me, I've been drinking. Um, it'll come to me, I can't remember what they were called. But... Um, but they were going to come out and do it, and I'd been to, I'd been to Ireland with Richard to ask him if they'd be up for it and all of that, and and it was all in place. And then we sold twelve tickets, and mm. I'd got the German promoter phoning me up saying, uh, "I've really got a problem. You know, I, I can't sell any tickets for this, and and if we go ahead and do it, it's going to cost me thirty grand." And I said, "Well, I can't do that to you." So no. yeah. you know we we blew it out. So much as I I, I know there's people out there who'd love to see this thing happen again. Um, the planets really will have to align. I mean, mm. whether we could do it by pre-ordering it, so we know exactly how much, you know, it, it, how much money we'll have in the bank before we even start. That might mm. be a way forward. You know, the Morellian invented pre-ordering a few years back and and um that might be quite um a good way of 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 finding out if something like this is remotely viable 
Well, but the I'd other thing, the it. other thing is, you could throw you could throw it open to the crowd. You know, I mean, if if anybody out there wants to have a crack at trying to organise, you know, a, a fifteen day tour and selling out the gigs, then then you know, H, H and Greg's will put the band together. Yeah, um, provided that H and Greg's can persuade enough people to do it who aren't already busy, H being one of them. So I'd I'll have <laughs> to find a hole in my schedule mm. as well. That, that's the thing. I mean. Marillion's a hungry beast. I mean, I was obviously being a little bit flippant there, but on a serious note, is it easier for the two of you to work together on projects like the, you know, the Hogarth Barbieri project? Is, is that is that more likely to be the way you'll interact moving forward? Well, re- recorded and studio work is always dead easy because, mm. you know, you don't need your trucks full of gear and you don't need all of that nonsense. So what about that Hogarth the Gregory project then? Well, it's possible. I mean, the thing is, we can um, <clears throat> with the with the internet as it is now. I mean, you don't even need to go to a recording studio. You can do everything remotely. And uh, this is how I'm actually making a living. Oh, well, I'd say I'm making a living. I get a pension now, but I'm making money doing sessions from home. I've got a little room upstairs. People send me a basic basic track. We want some guitar on this, please. Can you come up with something? I send them a demo. Oh, yeah, we like that. We'll have some of that. Send them the master. I get paid. It's it's easy. I don't have to even leave my house uh, to, to make to, to make you know music, make make some money even. Uh, and it's it's not the same fun as being in a studio with a band, obviously. Because you, it's it's being part of a, a group and with your friends, and just feeling the vibe of the music in in the room coming out of loudspeakers, that's that's irreplaceable. But for the purposes of making records, it's I don't think it's ever been easier or cheaper. No, that's true. So maybe maybe that's something we could look forward to. It's possible. Oh, yeah. I don't, oh you haven't heard the, the last of me and his nibs. I've had a drink now and I'm a bit loved up so I'd just like to say what a total pleasure it is to to see you and talk to you and hear your voice after what has been far too long it doesn't feel like it was that long but is in fact a long time Dave it's a real privilege so grateful you've sat in on this it's it's my pleasure Steve always and um, I note from my diaries that in fact the last H-band show that we played was at the Union Chapel in Islington in 2006 so that's now uh, 14 years isn't it 15 years no wonder I feel like this I'm (laughs) (laughs) you forget how old you are don't you why do I feel like this this? oh I know it's because I'm bloody ancient well, this is the pro- this is another reason about you know touring and everything. Mm. We need not getting. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm not in my twenties. I'm not even in my thirties. I'm sixty bastard eight. I've had enough. <laughs> I don't want to go out on the road. There's nothing hey, out there. You haven't had enough of me, sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I'm quite happy making music at home, and. Uh, and listening to music at home right. as well. I'm, I'm much happier listening these days. So, 
You heard it here first, folks. All round to Dave's. That's the, that's the plan. We're all going to make some music yeah. at Dave's house. There you go. Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Can Will we be able to twist your arm to come on again? Uh, probably won't be a live, so it'll just be a normal recording, but can we'll we twist we'll your arm to come We'll give you time to recover. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm always happy to talk to friends, and Steve's one of my oldest friends, and I'm glad that we're still friends, so this has been a joy. And now I have a new friend in Ant. <laughs> So, yeah, let's have a party, guys. <laughs> we will do that. Anytime. We will, we will do that. We will do that. Um, do you know what we should have organised before now? We should have organised. We haven't got time now this week. Should have organised for Dave to do the Croomcast. We could form a super group called ADH, and we just need another D. Then we'd be ADHD, wouldn't we? <laughs> good name for us. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, thanks for, for everybody who's tuned in on the YouTube uh, on the YouTube stream. Thank you very much um, for, for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, there's been some really nice comments come in, so, so uh, thanks for that. I'm going to tweak that a little bit and take the 15 minutes worth of blank out at the beginning and then i'll i'll put it back up and i'll share the link with everybody on um on on patreon so um you can still you can still um you know get hold of that for at least a a, you know a day or so yet so anybody who's missed it can get a chance to watch it but it might go down and you might find a new link is put up on 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 patreon to get to it because at least i can chop the you know the end and the and the beginning off which uh, will be easier but dave thanks for for joining us Anything pithy to add, H, for the end of number 40? Anything pithy? Um, God, you do this to me. I know, um, I, liked, I, I like that look of fear on your face. Everybody's <laughs> seen it now. <laughs> um, yes, I'd just like to say that this uh, Cascabel is called. Cascabel. Sounds like a girl, doesn't it? Yeah. You know. Is your arm long enough so you can hold it far enough away to... Hold it for what? So, well, to, to read it. Oh, to read it. I'm just pointing at the camera. Oh, Cascabel. Cascabel, with his head, um, honey and tequila, um, is an interesting and good thing. That's as pithy as I can be. Perfect. And uh, Dave Gregory's a totally fabulous bloke. Always was. Oh. And hasn't become less fabulous with time. That's all I can oh. say. It's kind of you to say so. Fag, it's been a joy talking to you again, and uh, we shall, we we shall. This will not be the last time. It's not kindness; we it's a hard fact. Soon. Thank you, Dave. Woo-hoo. I think we've got enough there, haven't we? Shit, yeah. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, I'd never got the chutney in, did I? I nearly lost my life in the cause of chutney yesterday. <laughs> cause oh, of God. death, chutney. It, this sounds like a, a an H story. I went out. A chapter in another diary. <laughs> this is the truth. Lynetta got it into her head that she wanted to make chutney, mainly because she'd made chutney before in the run-up to Christmas, which was an unqualified success, and went down very well with Sophie and went down well with me as well in cheese and chutney sandwiches. And it just ran out. And she said, shall I make some more? I said, that'd be fantastic. So she found the recipe, went out shopping, bought all the ingredients, but forgot the dates. Um, So yesterday morning, she said, oh, I'm going to make the chutney today. I'll go and get the dates. Anyway, whilst I was getting round to getting the dates, about four inches of snow fell on on the ground and the roads turned into not really roads. Um... But undeterred, I went to Sainsbury's. So 
I go, I go down the road. I, I get to the roundabout at the end of the road. There was a couple of cars up lampposts, which should have been a warning. Uh, and I went, I went round this roundabout and down this hill towards this big roundabout with traffic lights on it. And applied the brakes gently. Nothing happened at all. So then I'm, I'm, I'm racing towards these red lights and this big roundabout, doing about 40 miles an hour, not slowing down even slightly, thinking, oh, fuck, here we go. Um, and there's trucks and vans and all kinds of shit going around this roundabout. So I just put my hand on the horn uh, and shot around this roundabout without slowing down. Managed not to hit anything. Managed to get to Sainsbury's, buy dates, and Lynetta made chutney. But it nearly oh, was the oh, end of me. Oh, dear. Yeah. That, that's... No chutney too tough, Dave. I was going to say, does the end justify the means? <laughs> no! <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not! Who dies for chutney? <laughs> I'm just going to turn the live stream off. Everybody's got the chutney story. I'll turn the live stream off now. Bye, everybody. Bye, Purple. Thanks Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> I've broken a sweat telling that story. I tell you, it got my heart going. Thank you for subscribing. Can hurt. Gary Page and Zach Tracks. Lisa Harrington. Patrick Graham. Leona Thanks for subscribing to TC. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.